Radio Drama Revival, the show dedicated to stories told as the medium of sound, showcasing the diversity and vitality of modern audio theater. Hear your news, reviews, discussion, and of course, stories. And I am your host, Fred, and that great theme music is from Roger Gregg of Crazy Dog Audio Theater. Um, today, I have returned from my awesome, incredibly cool trip out to Convergence, the science fiction con out in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and have the scars, uh, uh, the, the, the audio recordings to prove it. Uh, today, we're featuring another mega episode, first with an interview with the players of Great Northern Audio Theater, then with an interview uh, with yours truly, me actually, with Jeff Adams from Icebox, and finally, chunks from the 2008 Mark Time radio show by Great Northern Audio Theater. Uh, for your convenience, this episode has been split into two parts. Um, this first part just has the interviews. Second part will be the audio production, all the stories. So without further ado, we will go straight to Minneapolis, Minnesota, where Jeff Adams of Icebox Radio Theater was kind enough to lend me his equipment to record this roundtable chat with the folks at Great Northern Audio Theater. All right, let's talk to them. All right, this is uh, Fred from Radio Drama Revival joining um, here at the Convergence 2009 out in the atrium. Just saw the uh, steampunk fashion show. Uh, now we see some people with big fluffy things and shields bashing each other around. Um, other interesting <laughs> yeah. characters coming by. And I'm, I'm joined with the uh, crew of Great Northern Audio Theater. We have uh, Brian Price and his daughter Eleanor Price. Hello. Hey. Hi. As well as uh, Chris Markman. Hello. And Jerry Stearns. Hi. And we, uh, it was really fun. You know, I came here to, to get the, the Gold Ogle Award and I ended up being part of the live show uh, last night, which is a pretty good. And do you all feel it was, uh, came out pretty well, sort of how you expected it to? Um, yes, we always feel going into it like we are um, hugely under-rehearsed and uh, never have a clear view that it's going to happen. And it uh, seems to mostly come out um, really well. <laughs> And, uh, and you saved our butts at least once, so thank you. Oh, yeah, and, and Chris, even I think there was uh, some praise on Twitter about it, huh? Yeah, at least two people uh, tweeted uh, last <laughs> night that they enjoyed the show, particularly the orc jokes, so we need to just um, future and, uh, note orc jokes <laughs> Ellen and I, well. Ellen and I were, uh, were driving through West Virginia uh, when uh, we, the, the orc sketch was put together, <laughs> and, uh, and so... Uh, the show the genesis the show stealing sketch came from huh right oh, yeah cool. so you never know where things are going to come from what it is what you do have to do though and this is to all your writers out there is write it down before you forget it <laughs> write some notes yeah. down or you think you'll remember what you were talking about but not necessarily sure. do you have anything to talk about say about orcs Oh, I'd just like to say that I'm mostly a scribe and a consultant when it comes to orcs. So that's about <laughs> all I do. Uh, Which reminds me, what was that thing I was going to write down as we were walking over here to the table? Oh, that was, uh, oh, that was, um, yeah, that was Geek Kebab. Geek yeah, we, Kebab. Okay, we were yeah. watching the, we were watching the uh, Akronism people whack each other over the head with plastic swords. <laughs> And realize that if a, a real orc came in, they'd be Geek Kebab. Oh, yeah. And there might be some copyright issues, just like the copyright issues with the Nigerian scam yesterday. <laughs> um, also, Jerry, there was going to be, there, you mentioned something about uh, mind readers who might get um, subpoenaed on uh, privacy concerns. Uh, yes, that was <laughs> over breakfast. And you never know where. You know, uh, Never know where Write trouble might come from. Sure, and you know you you have been doing this uh, for a while. I, did you say it was twelve years or nine years you've been doing this well, show? Well, we've been we've been doing this show here at Convergence for nine of their eleven years, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. the convention. But I did shows with other people at the local convention yeah. well, since nineteen eighty. Yeah, but Mark Time Awards have been going on for twelve years. Right. Right. And so that so we've got a and Mark Time it just give people a little background is a uh, um, a character 
further developed by uh, by David Osmond from Firesign Theater. He wrote and, the original script oh, okay. for the first one. That's right. He did such a good job, it makes it look like it's from 1938. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and uh, so... David, Jerry, and uh, Rich, uh, Fish. Rich Fish from Lowestone Productions in Indiana um, came up with the idea that there should be an exclusively science fiction audio award for yeah. science fiction audio programming. And um, so that's been going on for a dozen years. And um, you're the latest recipient, Fred. <laughs> Do you have a... Anything better to say than woo for yourself? Uh, you know, it, it, it's it was it's worth the, the trip out here. I wish some of the other um, uh, award winners had had the chance. Um, but it's, uh, you know, what I, I have to just say, going back to the live show, it's really interesting to see how, how that comes apart, how you, um, you know, come up with a pretty fresh original I idea. I swear you just said how that comes apart. Yeah, I know you did. <laughs> Slip of the tongue. Yeah. Well, you know, it comes back to, you know, Genesis, Regenesis. Um <laughs> Um, and I, I remember ta- um, hearing a little bit about um, how you, Brian, and, and Jerry met. And, and Chris, where did you, where did you enter the picture? Um, I met them at uh, MRTW, I think, in like 1994. Yeah, that's the Midwest that. Radio Theater Workshop. And she was just a little geek from uh, St. Louis <laughs> at the time. I was a. She yeah, did exactly was, what everybody does when they when they get attracted to audio theater and in a group of people that she wanted to do everything it was so cute and now she makes other people do totally everything totally making that up but at any rate I went but, out there I think I worked on the Foley table with Jerry yeah, and yeah. I don't know Brian was a producer dude and then at one year I was assigned to be Brian's assistant director which apparently involved tracking him down at an Italian restaurant in Columbia, Missouri right. because he was late for the <laughs> rehearsal and all of the actors were, you know, steaming. And no, that, the best thing I did out. is I sent a message to Chris that I was really sick and she was going to have to direct the show. <laughs> <laughs> and, and she turned a couple different shades of something there. Yeah. But, She's uh, still wearing it, that chartreuse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and so that ended up ultimately to you uh, working with them on the uh, Mark Time show? Yeah, so, I mean, at some point yeah. we also were involved in the National Audio Theater Festivals and then... Um, we did our own workshop. Did we our did our own, own conference. And, and I, so yeah. I started coming here in about 2003 and because they realized that what they wanted also was like another pair of hands to I think the first time maybe the first year or two we were back on the there was live sound effects and then the recorded sound effects I was on a CD in the back of the engineering table with all the you know mixing guys trying to push buttons in the dark you know (laughs) (laughs) and and, you know and you have been doing this for a little while um, and I think you mentioned a little bit uh, uh, just in, in, in chatting, uh, Brian, yesterday we talked about you know how, how things have changed. You know, obviously, um, once you've been doing it for nine years, it's a it's a different kind of show than, than the first one. Uh, what, what are some of the observations um, then and now? How are things different? Uh, the, the technology has changed a lot, and it's gotten smaller. So there are a lot of things that we used to bring with enormous amounts of equipment, which we have now pared down to just what we know we're gonna need. Yeah. Uh, and well, it's also basically, you know, there are, what, three laptops open up on, on a table. Each laptop is capable of recording a whole show by itself. You know, it can, you know, with the right software and hardware, you can make a laptop computer or a recording studio. And that's the big difference is that that quality is all of a sudden in everybody's hands. And so, you know, when Jerry and I were first out there, you know, it was real. You had to have a reel-to-reel recorder, and those were hard to come by because they were expensive. And so we were often and doing heavy. things on cassettes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and you couldn't take a reel-to-reel, you know, to another place with you very easily. So um, it's really 
you know, new technology is freedom. You know, and you, we really have a lot more ability to do what you want when you want. And the other thing that's changed a lot is that we've learned which people we have available to us as um, actors. And there are some people connected with the convention that we sort of got in because we, I saw them in something and said, would you like to do a show with us? And now we use them all the time because they're immensely versatile and they very quickly pick up what it is we want to do. Brian was mentioning last night how wonderful it is to have some people here that uh, he goes and starts working with the actors and he never has to say anything to the rest of us because we're setting up the gear, we're getting it plugged in, and the only time he talks to us is when the uh, uh, the annual technical glitch comes about. <laughs> yeah. uh, we yeah. always Which pick a different you, one. By the way, yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, and I was I was going to ask about that a little bit, Jerry's. You know, how how much time goes into this? You know, we're already you know joking around a little bit about some of the ideas you have. Uh, you know, for for next year. Um, you know, how how far ahead do you have the script advi- uh, in advance? How soon do you know the <laughs> actors together? Um, Boy, last, year, <laughs> last year we finished the script towards the end of May, right. and the con- conference is early July, so we were sort of pushed up against the edge. This year it was done in February. Um, we've had them done earlier than that. It depends on what year and what ideas we came up with and what other things are going on. Yeah. Um, we, Brian and I will each throw, spend time on the phone. We'll throw mm-hmm. ideas back and forth. Then each of us will take and start writing some bits for the thing. And then we start uh, figuring out how to attach them together and, and write bits to well, attach this, this them. This year um, was a, a different one for us because uh, Convergence has a, a theme every year. And sometimes it's, you know, like comic book heroes or uh, Next whatnot. Next year is and, villains. Yeah, and so this year uh, it was um, humor in science fiction which is what we always do, so we had to figure out how to, um, you know, how to do it differently. How to, how to, yeah, how to do it differently. So we ended up taking kind of a page from Monty Python and deciding not to be at all, not to try to tell a story and uh, just tell bad jokes. And, uh, <laughs> and so we had apparently a trunks full, and um, Eleanor um, came with, uh, you know, middle school bad jokes, which is a whole different genre. <laughs> and uh, you want to tell one? Um. Well, a middle school band joke would be, um, what's the difference between an onion and a clarinet? What? Uh, no one cries when you chop up a clarinet. <laughs> oh, that is terrible. Is quite true. Do, do, do you mind telling the orc, uh, the orc one, the, uh, the Isengard orc oh, one? Oh, yeah. Um, actually, my friend told me it, and it was monkeys in a tree, but I think it works better works with orcs better on with a orcs. tower. Orcs yeah. on a tower, yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, why did the orc fall off the Tower of Isengard? Why? He was dead. Why did the second orc fall off the Tower of Isengard? I have no idea. Uh, he was stapled to the first orc. Ooh. Why did the third orc fall off the Tower of Isengard? Why? Fear pressure. <laughs> but um, bump. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we were just in, in an audio drama sci-fi panel, um, and if we can get an excerpt of that, I'll, I'll put that up with this. But one thing that you brought up, Jerry, was how you have a captive audience, and that sort of has steered, you know, the evolution of Great Northern Audio. Do you want to elaborate on that a bit? Um, years ago, I started in this because it was a science fiction radio show, and uh, I heard about it through a science fiction convention, and that's what I've been doing for a long time. But I'm interested in all kinds of radio theater. When Brian and I started doing this, we found out that we had a ready-made audience and a... Uh, uh, 
I wouldn't call them captive. No, nobody here is captive. Except um, for the people who want to be. Oh, well, I was tabling people yeah. to the seats. Was that wrong? <laughs> no, that's tape. Yeah. It's very yeah, colorful Velcro, tape. yeah. No, yes. Um, but it, what it does is it gives us an annual venue and a deadline and a reason to do this, a particular kind of thing. Um, so we have ended up doing a lot of science fiction and fantasy sort of stories. Um, I don't know that I would always do that. In fact, we have scripts for a Western, and we have a couple other things that we have done that are not science fictional. And we have often sat down and tried to run something serious, and it never worked. <laughs> Brian and Jerry are usually the, you know, they're the ones who write the story. Sometimes, you know, if they have the script done in advance, they, you know, ask my opinion or whatnot, or they get it anyway. But, um... <laughs> One See, of the things, producers often think they have more power than they do. You know, it's a, one of the things that, that I think we've noticed, too, is, is that there are certain constraints because of the audience and because they're here for a science fiction convention, and it's a fan convention that in some of the years, like when we did Martian Trombone, which was a really good sort of standalone piece, it didn't quite have the same connection to the audience because it wasn't quite the same, like, in-jokes and, and things like that. So there's a trade-off between do you want to sort of pursue the stories that they want to tell versus do you want to do something that the audience is going to like. There was a joke in one of them a couple years ago about windows, which I think got like 30 seconds worth of, of applause. You know, people, <laughs> you tell, you know, you tell jokes about like, yeah, orcs and, 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 and operating systems and, and they go, they go crazy. So. Yes. The, the, the audience definitely has a certain kind of background mm -hmm. that they're looking for. And if we give them something that they recognize, they're going to blow up. And if we give them something that a few of them recognize, they're going to hum. But that's about it. Well, and I think some of that is, is, is part of how any, any entertainers deal with audiences. You, know, you see uh, comedians and rock bands, you know, go, you know, hello, banger, you know, and they, and they know where they are, you know, and, they, and they'll, they'll basically change the same joke to, uh, to just say... You know, here we are in Gainesville, Florida, or wherever, yeah. and, and um, so, you know, knowing a little bit about the audience, and at the same time, you have to be true to yourself of yeah. you know, tell what you want to. That mm -hmm. Martian trombone yeah. story, we really wanted to do that yeah. story, that, uh, and yeah. and we would gladly have done it in a studio and forgotten the rest of them, but it was just a really good place mm -hmm. to do it, and it was a good time to do it. And it was a really, and it is, yeah. it's not was, it's still, it's available on CD from yeah. GreatNorthernAudio.com. Well, it's got David Osman in it, yeah. and David was just the right person we needed for that part, and if we didn't have him, except here. Yeah. So yeah. we had to yeah. take the chance. Well, that yeah, that was often the thing, too, is you're having, um, well, there's two things about doing a live show, is you, you immediately get a product, and you also immediately pull together talent to do it, and, and so you have to have a, you have to be ready to take advantage of that, and but you also have to sort of know the limits of what's going to be a good live show and what you can do to get recorded, and, and um, so you know there are some things where if you wanted to have you know a lot of orchestra or something like that, it would be you yeah. might have to do that later. You yeah. know, and so uh, and and let's change gears just for a minute and talk a little bit more about the actual Mark Time Awards. Um, We're all judges. Yeah. All right. <laughs> 
Um, so is, yeah, who who's really responsible for what? How how does who sort of like manages it? How does how, how does that whole thing come together? I have fallen into that role. Uh, um, that would be poor Jerry. Yes, um, when David and Rich and I came up with the idea, it was actually David's idea, and then I thought, well, you know, we could hook it up to the convention, and they liked the idea, and uh, when I figured out who was going to have to do what. I was the only one who was here all the time, and so. <laughs> so yeah, Jerry's in in the administrative, you know, uh, post office box, and you know yeah. where the where people send things to, and so that kind of administration uh, is. I, I've, uh, you know, got for in my career with audio theater, have judged scripts, script contests, and you know all kinds of you know programming contests for years, and. Um, I enjoy it because you sort of use every year it's a little different and you see kind of odd cultural things come through almost all the scripts or you know there'll be a preponderance of of time travel or or you know concerns within the uh, scripts it's kind of funny and uh, so what we've uh, I think Mark Time has been a um, a really good award for uh, we call it emerging producers. You know that. You know, uh, Random House. You know, publishing is not sending us stuff. They don't need to. But um, you know, people. You know, like Crazy Dog Audio in, in uh, Ireland, and uh, the group in Australia, and um, what was that Deep Thought or whatever they were. Um, <laughs> anyway, you know, groups from around the world have used the award to um, to get grant money and to, you know, to get a little bit of recognition. And uh, and hopefully people in Maine will do the same thing. Oh, I, I, I do hope uh, so. I want, and that, that was kind of the, the, the second question you already partially answered, Brian, was this sort of, you know, what, how, how have the entries changed? Um, what's kind of, you know, what, what are you seeing now? We used to see a lot of people trying to tell a story but not being able to carry it off very well. And we found that with the technology improving and the field widening, because there's so many more people making it now, that the production values have gone way up. Um, you still find things with people who borrowed a sound effect and it doesn't quite fit into that spot. It doesn't sound like it's really happening there, but it's the only one they had. Uh, you, you hear that kind of thing now and then. Um, uh, Content-wise, uh, it's been interesting because you know, what a, two or three years into the Mark Time Awards, they, uh, the group decided to split off horror and fantasy as the Ogle Award, yeah. which, and um, which is named after what Charles Ogle, Charles Ogle. Um, Edison's Frankenstein. Back what what year 1910. was that? Nineteen ten. Nineteen ten. So the first film Frankenstein, um, and the big change I've seen over the past 10 years is um, that Ogle Awards have gotten stronger and science fiction is is uh, not the first choice of a lot of storytellers right now. Mm -hmm. that, uh, that fantasy and horror is a bigger palette. And, and it's a, also uh, true in publishing. The fantasy yeah. novels and so they're short stories are selling that. better than science fiction these days. Mm -hmm. And so it, because I think, I think, well of course like Jerry's mentioned sometimes, is you could say that science fiction is a subset of fantasy. Mm -hmm. uh, but fantasy is just giving people, uh, you know, uh, more place to play. And, and so 
I'm seeing the better stories in the Ogle Awards mm-hmm. very often than, than the Mark Time Awards. I mean, I would say another thing that you tend to sometimes see in, in almost waves or things like either adaptations. So some years you'll just have a lot of adaptations, which are, which are harder and I'm always a little bit more skeptical of because I think, well, okay, you didn't have to write this story. Mm-hmm. So, you know, mm-hmm. I tend to be a bit more biased in turn towards people who are trying to write an original story rather than, and plus it's like, you know, I've, I've heard, you know, like we start to just roll our eyes when people show up with War of the Worlds. It's like, you know, we've, we've all heard that about a million yeah. times. And, and I'm really sick of you know, Frankenstein and Dracula. Oh gosh, Dracula, Frankenstein and Dracula. And, 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 <laughs> and so sometimes you'll get into these cycles where you see that or you see the, the sort of emulation of old time radio, which is, seems to be getting less. But I think for the first few years that I was judging, there was a lot of like heavy narration, very stylized, well, and, and, fake commercials. Yeah, we'll be exactly. right back after these announcements. Yeah, and yeah. Because that seemed to be like the template that most yeah. Well, I think had. in podcasting is it might be part of it. Is there actually is a new, you know, broadcasting podcasting way to do things which breaks that old style. You don't have to have nobody has commercials in podcasting. You don't have to have well, yeah, they a commercial. Do. They just put them all at the beginning or end. And oh, okay. The so they actually. So are they doing them like? Uh, old Texaco commercials no. or, no. you know, no. this podcast brought to you. Then. No, I mean, it really just depends on the, I mean, the, the right. thing about podcasting is it's much more, it's sort of, it's like blogging. I mean, it's an out, offshoot of blogging and that it's much more personal and a lot of people are just sort of doing whatever they're interested uh-huh. in. So, yeah. and, and I guess this is a bit of a loaded question, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> in terms of the vitality of the medium, do you feel pretty good after hearing um, the latest round of entries in 2008? <laughs> uh, uh, yes and no. <laughs> um, yes, because we hear... As pe- Elder's line was, they are a bunch of duty heads. <laughs> <laughs> we hear a lot of new things, new people. We always get something from somebody mm-hmm. we didn't even know about before. And I like that. Um, but we always also get things from people that keep sending us the same thing over and over yeah. again. Well, and that's, uh, you know, frankly, one of the reasons that um, I think, you know, the final Rune production came mm-hmm. up the top was uh, they had entered before and um, had learned from each from each production. Mm-hmm. And so this, we uh, noticed how much better you were. The, this time than the ones you had done you, before. You did ask. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, it, can, so it's that. really neat to see see an evolution going on mm-hmm. and and producers getting better. Sure, and, uh, absolutely. And that's, I think that's always a good sign. The other thing in terms of the medium that we notice and and are still struggling with is there's a lot of disconnect among the people doing this. So, you know, like we had a, a conference here in Minneapolis on, for producers in 2004, and a lot of it was just like, how do you get all these people to sort of communicate with each other? Especially now that, that podcasting is becoming more of a, of a distribution medium, you know, it's like there are people that are out there doing stuff that probably have never heard of us and we haven't heard of them, and we'd like to get more people sort of into the fold and and that's the problem is it's it's, it's there's still lots of like disconnected producers scattered around on the internet that haven't really they're not all talking to each other we used to see a lot of websites that uh, said at the top of it new radio like you've never heard before well you know and i I think we touched that touched again going back to that audio panel this afternoon um that sort of topic came up um there is someone who was talking about getting into audio drama for the first time and um, not really knowing all the history, and I think you, you know, just you going on some of the stories from Tom Lopez is like, oh wow, these are you know these are people who are seasoned, and I think uh, 
do you, do, you, do you think you see that a bit of a disconnect between um, you know kind of the I, I guess the, the generation of people who were you know after old time radio but are aware you know very ex- you know experienced in old time radio um, you know maybe you were working in the 70s and 80s and 90s and, and maybe you're still today compared to the new podcast generation which by and large may be missing a little bit of that cultural history. Yes. <laughs> Brian always rants about this, so, you know. Yeah, yeah. All right. Although the, the, I'm going to uh, you opened up the flood. The, the rant, the rant, uh, uh, enter um, rant. <laughs> I don't know. I am, yeah, I, I sort of got myself blown out on this earlier this morning. So uh, <laughs> um, I think with, you know, there is a cultural disconnect sometimes, but there's also, I think, and this may be more from the writing end, is there's kind of a developmental kind of thing, just like, how you learn, you know, how you um, learn comedy, for instance, is, you know, you, you listen to comedy records and then you try to copy them. And then, uh, you know, then you find Monty Python after you, you know, after one other show and you're really influenced by those. And, and after a while, then you have to develop your own style. And uh, so that's what we want to see more of these podcasters do is, and I think that's that's where the, the um, you know, the old time radio has really stopped people as they stop at that style. Right. And so you can certainly stop there for a while and learn, you know, how how that stuff was done and emulate it. But then you got to find your own. It. Yeah. Then you got to find your own way. And um, I think, uh, and that's hard in any medium. You know, because you see TV, everybody just copies the CIS. Mm-hmm. You know, there is very little originality. And movies are out there. You know, redoing movies. Right. And so. We have a chance, though, because there is no template to uh, to create style. Right. It's positive and a negative, though, because in the same sense that, you know, there's TV, there's a mainstream out there that people can see what's happening. And that's the real problem and why I think we see people yeah, continuing to think to. that they're doing yeah. it new is because there's not a a standard out there. There's not a, like, one-stop shopping. Mm-hmm. There's not a mainstream that you can compare yourself to. and. And you know it can be hard to find these people, so it's it's in some ways understandable that people come up and think, "Wow, I'm doing this, and no one else." Okay, has done well, it here's before. a hypothetical for you know for Fred, Chris, and Jerry. Here is is uh, <laughs> you know what would happen to us if you had a Harry Potter come along? You know, what if you had something that just blew everything out of the water and set the standard? Would that help or hurt? I, you, I, you know, I would say all for it. Um, I, I think that what uh, audio drama needs is a breakthrough work, um, you know, a Stephen King serial that's only released in audio drama format that brings over 100,000 new listeners who start listening to what Scott Hickey's been doing the last uh, five years. Tom right. Lopez did Stephen King's The Mist in binaural three-dimensional audio a few years ago, and it's a killer. It, it scares the crap out of you if you're listening in your headphones. And it, it was sort of too scary. floated along briefly mm. and then sank without a ripple. Uh, and then this movie came out, and all of a sudden the thing showed up again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it didn't have any coattails of its own, but the movie did. Yeah, well, and that, this is something that Chris has often often brought up, is, is it's not about our medium, it's Thank about you. story. And it's also that we might have to be a little more inclusive ourselves of, of trying to hook up with books and with uh, movies and TV and, and say, you know, this this is a, and it goes both for the pros too, this is another way for an actor to get a job, this is another way for a writer to get a story out, this is another way to express yourself. And, um, you know, you might not want to be just a professional podcaster yeah, because you gonna, might not just happen. be eating soup the rest of your life. You know, <laughs> yeah. Which also reminds me that Digital Great Northern soup. Audio is available to do um, 
audiobook production, uh, editing, and uh, um, audio theater versions of other people's books if they wanted right. to. I, I know, you know, and I could I could cut all the thes out of your book and put them in line. You know, so you could just have that, you know, be an interesting experiment, you know. Because we really haven't gotten into audio art as nearly as much as we should. But it's definitely, I think, it's just, and this is an American issue, right? Because we know, people have talked about this in the panels, that there is a, a continuing and ongoing tradition of audio drama in like the BBC and and but American audiences are not really conditioned and so if you say audio drama to the average person on the street they don't even really know what no. you're talking no. about well because no know, money has been you know right. it's, it's, it's totally market driven they like thing. science fiction or romance or fantasy or mm. mystery or talk shows or whatever and so I think that the thing to make audio break out is to not think of it as we're doing audio but to think of it as we're telling stories and it just happens yeah. to be in this audio format. format. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But well, I've been yeah. saying that for Eleanor years. Eleanor is the next generation. <laughs> what do you like about audio? The um, that I can picture my own people and that I don't she have to worry totally about casting. <laughs> casting, like, it really bothers me in movies when there's somebody who I have, like, in my mind, but then they're wrong. Uh, and do, how so about, is that uh, when, when you're talking about, like, books that you've read that you see as a, a TV adaptation? Yeah, like, sometimes, you know, movies they're just completely wrong yeah but it's harder to do that with voice unless you've got like a person who's supposed to have a low voice having a high squeaky one there you have it (laughs) she's been taught well it's a genetic thing right (laughs) so um you you did uh just give the plug there jerry for uh, great northern um opening up its doors for um audio productions i was going to sort of mention that earlier as you said one of you know, how do we feel when we get to listen to all these mark time entries? And one of the things that we like about that is that we hear a lot of other people's stuff and we find out that the things that we have done are not like anybody else's stuff. Mm. So we're doing what we are hoping other people will do is find their own style and go their own direction. Right. And dozens of people around the world uh, (laughs) sometimes buy it. (laughs) It's it's amazing. Yeah. But uh, I... I, you know, one thing I'm proud of with Great Northern is I think we're we're fairly critically liked. You know, the the people we like will work with us, and and uh, and you know we get comments and you know compliments from from ZBS and from Firesign and stuff like that. They they won't hire us, but <laughs> <laughs> but because you know the whole thing in 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 entertaining entertainment medium right now is that. Everybody's fight. You fight for jobs, you know. And, and an actor doesn't want another actor to get the part. They want to get the part. You know, it's the same thing with writers and same thing with producers. You, you know, you want it. And so it's. And I think even in podcasting, it's competitive. And what what what's good about podcasting is the field is more open. And you say, well, you know, if some somebody doesn't want to do my stuff, I'll do it. Yeah. And uh, and that's what the internet is you know the beauty of the, the internet right now is is you know it's wide open and so you guys will be back for convergence 2010 and uh, yes yes uh, we yes. will because we've got a, we've got, we have a voice actor named uh, Wally Wingert who's an anime actor um, or he's been in the family guy uh, all you know yeah. all kinds of voices and, uh, also, and another I think, guest is Chuck McCann, who is one of the busiest voiceover actors right. in all of Hollywood. And I think what we'll do is, like, uh, as soon as we get home, call David Osmond and say, you better be here. 
and uh, and we'll write a, a big fat script for those guys. Yeah, they each and, can uh, do a thousand voices, so we only need three actors, there and we go. can get three thousand yeah. characters. So. Three thousand characters. Now that would be awesome to fit in a thirty <laughs> thirty minutes. <script>. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and it's always what's always need is to see see professionals like them take off with material and and where it just comes alive and uh, yes, David has often uh, thrown the other actors off by improvising during our script and uh, yeah, and uh, awesome. Uh, and and any other exciting things happening in Great Northern? Um, should be aware of um, Brian and I have a piece that we've been thinking about and working on for actually several years that has never quite come together, and just recently. Both of us have come up with things that seem to help tie it together. And so uh, we won't yeah. even mention the name of it. Yeah, it's, uh, well, we've always loved the title is, um, is uh, Verifying Graffiti is the name of the title. Yeah. And uh, it's going to be a, um, a light dystopia. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> but what we want to talk about, you know, is, is you know, the sort of collapse of, of things just not working right, which, you know, unfortunately, you know, like, we were writing about things stuff. are going well, Brian. What do you say? <laughs> well, you know, there was a bridge that fell down in Minneapolis the other <laughs> other year, and we were, you know, we were talking about that kind of thing happening, and uh, so we just didn't quite get, get our stuff out ahead of the curve, but... Um, Very often, science fiction will take an extreme view and say, okay... Um, everything has collapsed and there's only like eight people left in the city. Let's tell that story. Well, we're going to tell the story like six weeks before the <laughs> entire, the rest of it collapses uh, and get the, the early part of that. Nice, nice. Right. Uh, all right, so who wants to give the uh, plug on where you can hear Great Northern work? We do know greatnorthernaudio.com, but there's some other sources uh, where you can hear it. Um, it's downloadable individual stories at audible.com and spokennetwork.com. You can get a collection of a lot of things from echofiction.com, which has the Great Northern Live box set downloadable. I don't know how they download the box. <laughs> it's really hard to fit that through a wireless connection, but they've found yeah. ways. You know, it's a virtual box of some sort. Wow. And ZBS now has all, uh, you know, an entire collection uh, exactly the way the CDs are as individual downloads as well. Well, uh, thanks you all so much. It was a huge pleasure to have you on. And a huge pleasure to be your guest, um, getting the Ogle Award and uh, getting dragged onto the uh, set last night. Yeah. Well, uh, you so saved our butt, so and you got you. the ribbon to show it. Well, congratulations on the award, and um, invite us up to Maine, and we'll all be there. All right, we'll work on <laughs> All right, thank yeah, you yeah. much. Take care. All right, and those were our pals from the Great Northern Audio Theater coming to you from Convergence 2009. And, man, what a fun time that was. Uh, see if we'll make it out again. I certainly would go if I had the opportunity. Um, flipping the table around, uh, Jeff Adams of Icebox Radio Theater interviewed me live for his streaming radio station. Um, I'll put a link to that in the show notes today. Um, he also sent me a copy of the interview. I thought it'd be kind of fun to put it in here. Um, turning things on its head, let's have me um, on the show for an interview. Well, good afternoon, everybody. You are listening to Icebox Radio. We're going to interrupt the Sonic Society there to bring you a very different sort of show. We're coming to you live from Convergence, the greatest sci-fi gathering in the planet. And we're in Minneapolis, Minnesota, Bloomington, Minnesota, as a matter of fact. And with me is Fred Gringhaug. Hulge. Hulge. <laughs> and tell us what you do, Fred. Hey, I, um, I am do two, two things predominantly. I do run the weekly radio drama, modern audio drama podcast, Radio Drama Revival Doc, Radio Drama 
Revival.com. Also yes. produce my own work. Uh, write and produce under the moniker Final Rune Productions. Right. Final, Final Rune, um, R-U-N-E. And uh, that, that's what actually brings me out, of course, uh, Final Rune's piece, Waiting for a Window Win the Gold Ogle Award. So I had the joy, pleasure, and general kick-ass time of last night picking it up, <laughs> um, picking up the award, uh, the Markheim Awards. Now, we just, and we just got out of a panel, actually, um, which was an uh, audio drama theme. So this is one of the reasons I wanted to do this, is to let all the people from around the world tuning into Icebox Radio, all nine of you, know <laughs> that this con is the place to be. But it is. You know, it's really interesting because I think you see such huge fandom. You know, I think a lot of people in radio drama try to struggle to find an audience. And here, here's yes. an audience. Here are people who are really excited about uh, stories, you know, different, yeah. different pieces of culture. And I think it's just a matter of audio people doing a better job of getting the word out about, you know, a lot of good work that's already being done. Um, you know, uh, today we talked about all kinds of different groups from Darker Projects right. to Broken Sea, uh, Dream Real Enterprises, great groups that no one had heard of um, just because they haven't been immersed in audio drama. And that's just what we, as people in the audio drama community, just need to get the word out a bit more. You know, and this is one of the things that uh, this station was all about. Uh, I don't think, I think, I think we probably agree with this, that the state of the art right now is podcasting. This, there's no better means of conveying uh, what it is you want to do to the audience. But online radio, I'm hoping that interactions like this can really get people interested because, hey, we're live. Yeah. You know, if someone runs up and drops an F-bomb into the mic, we're just (laughs) In fact, maybe we should take a moment to try and paint a uh, picture with words. It was the steampunk fashion show. Yeah. um, It was right next to us. It it was, it's pretty interesting. There's a, I, I've, you know, I've been kind of a geek. I've never hung out that much with other geeks, so it's a little uh-huh. bit of a culture shock. Um, we've got the TARDIS Tea Society, all these yep. different theme party rooms, Xena, steam, uh, the Steampunk Force, which uh, is out in force. Um, Vampire coffee Hunters sh- Union. Coffee Shop, which was really good cappuccino I've got here. Um, the, uh, the, the Rutting Tribble Saloon. <laughs> I mean, yes. it's just great stuff. This is a, a great, creative, fun uh, group of people. And if, and if you're thinking it's like a, a Big Bang Theory <laughs> and your ratio is five geeky men to one woman who doesn't understand, I'm looking around, I see corsets, I see anime costumes. Um, guys, if you want a place to be with girls who would understand you to and some extent, <laughs> I think this is the place. Yeah. It's um, fantastic. Killer, killer costumes. This is, uh, oh, man. you know, I, I'm big on Halloween, but this puts Halloween to shame. I think that's the idea is we do a second Halloween. Well, as long as we're on the subject of live... Um, now, you, you, you have kind of a double life in audio. There's Radio Drama Revival. That's wonderful. Glad to hear from that you're, that you're doing a, a one of, I think, the, probably the best anthology series going right now in a tie with Sonic Society. See how I did that, Jack? Oh, they're very, very okay. nice. Thank but you. also Final Rune Productions, which yeah. is just your production company. Tell us a little bit about the differences there and what Final Rune's all about. Well, it goes back to this thing of uh, reaching an audience. Uh, I was doing Final Rune before Radio Drama Revival was out there. Uh-huh. Um, I had produced a few stories. Um, Day of the Dead, I did my last year in college, uh, Drizzle, um, my first horror piece. And uh-huh. it was, uh, it was, I put up the website. Uh, I was getting some hits to that. In fact, Jack Ward was one of the first people who featured uh, my work on the yeah. Sonic Society was one of the first ways of getting that out there. Um, but I, I really wanted more in terms of, of having a venue. Um, if I was going to produce pieces on a regular basis, um, as it was, um, WMPG is right in my backyard. It's a local community radio station, right, um, okay. as there are many communities, uh, t- sort of tied in with the university, but not entirely. Uh, a, sh- a slot opened up, uh, and I said, 
geez, I, I would love to do a radio drama show. And and they said what? I put a demo. Well, yeah, they they'd run. They hadn't run anything since the '80s. They used to do. Um, uh, there was a series you could subscribe to as a station back then. Uh -huh. But uh, the, the station director is is his attitude is yeah we love more stuff here. So it was very you know he liked the idea. Um, got the show. Then I needed content, and I did, it didn't really take much. You know, if I had audio drama talk at the time, it would have been even easier. But as it was, all I did was put out a couple, uh, you know, calls calls on the uh, radio drama listserv. Uh -huh. um, people like uh, Craig Wickman of Quicksilver Radio Theater were very sure, quick yeah. to respond. Uh, Jack Hosley, Wanda Radio, was one of the first you two. Okay. Jeff, or, um, Great Northern Audio. Um, people like that started it off, and I've never been searching for content since. So it has been this constant thing because... Uh I hosted for a while an anthology show and ran out, you know, and it took a couple years indeed. But then how much do you have to research this? How much do you have to like pop around online finding groups or are groups finding you now? At, at this point, I get uh, a good number of submissions, stuff that I'd never even heard of. Uh, one uh, interesting piece is this thing called the Flickr Man, and I think it's a really interesting interactive media wow, piece. Wow, okay. Um, it, he, it's being told as if it's actually happening to this person so okay. it's this weird uh post modern uh thing and and it's been written about and it's gotten some press um the, even the guardian newspaper wrote about it and uh -huh. and the guy and you know and the, the persona of the character on the blog is like why are all these people writing about me why are they turning my life into this radio drama and it's just <laughs> awesome and, he, and he's got all these like flicker pictures and that was something i'd never heard of it's not right. he's, he's hasn't connected with the audio drama community here in the states uh, but did find me through the website, and now I'm hoping I can connect him with some of the people um, that I know of, and other people who like that. Mm -hmm. So there are people coming through the website. Um, I do. I'm a professional search engine guy, so I am now. You know, radio drama revivals comes up in the top five for the term radio drama, which certainly oh, is no small. You got to teach me how thing. to do that because I. <laughs> I just learned the word metadata in the last 24 uh -oh, hours. It's doomed. And, and so that, that certainly helps, but just being out there, being part of the community, uh -huh. uh, connecting with people. One of the best things I think I did with Radio Drama Revival is interview every single person who's ever been on the show. Uh, that's First off, it's just made me a lot of friends, a lot right, of radio right. buddies. Um, you know, this is, this is a great occasion. I went over and visited Roger Gregg this past March. Before that, I'd been to National Audio Theater Festivals. Just, you know, greatest group of people you'll ever meet is within the audio drama circles. But... Uh -huh also gave me huge insight on how people are doing these uh, mm -hmm. you know uh, the, everything from the people who are doing live shows to you know talking to Tom Lopez just a week ago still blows my mind uh, talking to people who, who know their stuff and what his new project with these uh, the four minute film noir videos it's okay. like you know guy's been in radio for 30 years and now he's doing videos like, doing videos. <laughs> what? I, I really gotta here? say if, if we have anyone listening who has not checked out Revival yet uh, that Tom Lopez interview is a great place to start because I was learning things about the history of the art form mm. like that 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 between time like in the 80s when NPR finally just said you know no more after Star Wars and that's why it was yeah. your interview with him that said oh is that why that there was an effort on NPR to actually gain listeners as opposed to fulfill some sort of cultural mission and and uh, that's why radio drama is really no longer featured Ooh. on that. Oh yeah! Thank God for community radio. <laughs> yeah, right? ab absolutely. Um, not being tied into this battle for for ratings. Um, and and I, I have another opportunity. I'm hoping to get Eric Bowersfeld, who actually was a mentor to Tom Lopez on okay. the show, and he is a guy with even more history. Just talking to him for five minutes on the phone, trying to set up this interview. Uh -huh. um, he starts going in talking about um, K. Uh, KPFK out in um, Berkeley, okay. how it would, how they used to not even have a schedule for the radio station really, oh, yeah. and he used to start at quarter of the hour, and then suddenly more rules started to happen, and and he, you know, things changed. It's it's 
Uh, I, I, tr- I, you know, I, I don't really try to focus on the past. We do certainly appreciate the history and honor the history, but also focus on how that's changing new stuff. And um, Here, here's maybe a touchy subject that we should we should talk about because I know you haven't featured very much fan fiction mm-hmm. on Radio Drama Revival, and that's certainly a large part of the offering overall in the art form today. Yeah, is, is there an issue here with people putting their heart and soul into doing a Star Trek or a Star Wars that? They'll never be able to control, and they might even be asked to stop someday. Is this overall? Is it healthy for people to be doing this? You think? Well, yeah. There's a. I, I guess I have a couple, you know, varying opinions on it. Uh, personally, I think it's great that if that's what the audience wants, and if they have fun doing it, right. awesome. It's personally not really my taste, and you know, I, I admit I am biased in the sense that I tend to play stuff that I personally like so you know sure. I, I definitely appreciate what what fan people are doing I'm glad you know and I've, I've been impressed with how loyal and how active an audience they get yeah. um, not just not my cup of tea uh, in some ways I like to see people who are doing trying to write original content of course you does avoid the, those right issues if you sure. you know have control over it I like to be able to share and promote everything I do without worrying that someone's gonna send me a nasty letter right um, shutting it down uh, so, there's certainly that that to worry about. But if I mean, if your heart's on it and you want to do another, you know, Star Trek recreation, I'm not going to say don't do it. I would love to see more artists out there doing it. But I'd also like to see uh, people who are thinking, you know, who've got a uh, script, who've got a feature length screenplay that they've been struggling to get anyone to get interested exactly, in to, yeah. to, a, to do a radio adaptation. Um, I have a novel which, one of these days, I'm going to turn <laughs> into a, a 30 hour or so, you know, just I'm going to do a segmented series, plot it from beginning to end, right. and record it. And I'd love to see more people doing that. Um, really, t- you know, who who might have been interested in another medium but are having struggle struggling to reach an audience in that medium. Certainly, there's short story and uh, writers and novelists right. who are, you know, are out there looking looking for more listeners or readers. Um, audio fiction is a great way to to get the, out there. It's cheap. Yeah. Do you think, okay, well, I want to talk about Audio Drama Talk because I keep kind of lauding Crash and the job he mm-hmm. did, but part of it to me, having someone that's been paying attention for probably six, seven years now, uh, the problem was always the lack of a community home. One mm-hmm. place you could send people to say, this is where you to go. How important was that? Oh, it, ha- that is yeah. that is an amazing resource. I mean, even before there were great resources, um, Tony Palermo's Ruyasonic.com, and I guess... Yep. Uh, on the panel earlier, they mentioned uh, the well-tempered audio dramatist by Yuri Rosovsky. Those were the two yeah. resources that, you know, helped me figure out how to get started on this. But the audio drama talk now you have a forum for asking questions, and, right? Um, as well as the information and knowledge is starting to amass there. So I, I think you know the first week of the forum, you put it aptly, Jeff. You said, um, you know, radio drama has needed a living room. And that's what audio drama talk is. And it's it's not just producers is the thing. I mean, this yeah. this has been a frustration. I, I go back to like the pre-podcasting days when all we had was CDs. One of the biggest frustrations, you'd sell a CD, the person would email, and they'd be a producer too. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it was kind of the lack of fans yeah. was sort of frustrating. I think that dynamic's changing because uh, the cost of production has come down to the point where everyone can be a producer. Yep. So anyone, I mean, there's a, there's a lady from outside Toronto named Janice on the forum. She's posted as much as anybody. Uh, she's going to like school now to do audio production, but she was like, I thought of her as the fan. Yeah, we have one fan on ADT, <laughs> and it's Janice. Yeah. Oh wow. What? Uh, and, and now one of the things I did want to bring up, you do an anthology show, Radio Drama Revival. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another anthology show, Ooh, the Sonic Society. Yeah. Uh, you're in Portland, Maine. 
Jack and Shannon, of course, are in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Is and I, you know, there's, sometimes there's some crossover. Mm-hmm. There's an occasional show. Do you interact at all? Is there animosity I guess, there? I guess we haven't got. Well, I wouldn't certainly not say animosity. Okay, I guess good. we haven't haven't gotten there. In fact, I was really excited to see what they're doing with the Sonic Gold. I think that's a really interesting project. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm hoping that they're really successful with it. Uh, you know, right now I've been I've I've been interested in what they have to say. Um, and I do. You know, I, I I would say I'm not a religious listener to the Sonic Society, but right. I keep an eye on what they're doing. And I, I think we're serving a slightly different audience their you know their rapport is different than mine i'm kind of just me and if i just okay. talked a lot to myself it'd probably be really boring so i just sort of go straight to the story and it's kind of <laughs> short uh-huh. um so we have different styles but i think it you know i don't think you know in some some ways maybe that's sort of splitting up a rather small fan base but at the same time right. i think we're doing uh we're, we're we're on the same page we're all just trying to promote this medium so I can't, in other words, I can't stroke my own ego by having a big reconciliation scene at some point on live on, on online television where you, I get you could Jack if you want. and Fred. Well, then we have to, you know, build you up do some the before and a, You could do the before and afters. Like, yes. Fred, there, there needs to there be a someone, fight. Fred, there's someone here who would like to talk to you. <laughs> well, it was that Jack Ward who first played Day of the Dead and interviewed me. And, you know, oh. You know, I just wanted to let him know I appreciate that. Probably Jack wouldn't be your problem. Shannon would have a fight with you, you know, no problem. She would, she would have a throwdown, absolutely no problem at all. Well, so, I, now, uh, production of Radio Drama mm-hmm. Revival. Actually, forget that. Let's talk about Final Room, because that's your show. Sure. Uh, tell us what's coming up next with that. Well, uh, my first, well, my next studio piece, uh, I should say studio, but it's actually going to be recorded in the field again, uh, is, is set based on a short story in the desert. Um, okay. Um, it's actually the sequel to Day of the Dead, my very first piece, the traveler, the young man from that story, leaves New Orleans, finds himself um, hitchhiking across the desert, um, dehydrated, and has an um, experience on the edge of consciousness uh, Consciousness that takes him back into the underworld. Okay. There's a lot of really interesting um, experiences there. That uh, that I'm planning to get out next spring. Uh-huh. Uh, the, the, the only major event, one really exciting thing that's happened is a uh, local theater troupe in my area, the Mad Horse Theater Company, is interested in doing some sort of collaboration. Uh, we are still in the kind of the exploratory phase, figuring out what... We, we actually are contemplating doing some OTR creations, which in some ways is very much not uh, not what I do, but a good way to, uh, you know, it's, we're just going to do it for fun, kind of. Okay. Uh, but then the big the big thing that I'm excited about is a Halloween live show. Uh, it be live in Portland, Maine on Halloween. Uh, works by Roger Gregg, a piece by myself, um, some other pieces that I haven't quite ironed out yet. Um, broadcast, podcast, as well as before a live audience. And I'm hoping... Oh, wow, that is an amazing oh, yeah. costume. Look at that. It's the <laughs> steampunk. I, if you don't know what steampunk is, you're listening on the computer, just go to Google and, and Google it. Yeah. Uh, what would you describe? It's 1890s Yeah, I thought steampunk out. was like the William Gibson thing, but maybe I've got this wrong. Is, isn't that cyberpunk? Maybe that is the okay. problem. Okay. I, I, I heard it described to me one time that steampunk is... Remember that ridiculous mechanical spider in the Wild Wild West movie that Kenneth Branagh oh, was riding gosh. around? Yeah. That it started with that. Hmm. Which is not a good movie, but a great, a very cool device. And and now these costumes, and I, I count one, two, three, four, five, six video cameras. Okay. And they're handing out awards, probably cash it. awards. Looking at this group. Shh. Well, nice. Fred, let's take a break, uh, just for a couple of spots. Okay, on we're back. We are back at Convergence 2009, a great science fiction convention in Bloomington, Minnesota. I'm Jeff Adams from Icebox Radio, and we're on here with Fred Greenhalge. 
I've got to ask about that's that a fair name. Effort. <laughs> Was that a fair effort? Fred Greenhalge from Portland, Maine, who flew out uh, to pick up an award. Tell us what the award is again. In case the Gold just... Ogle Award. Gold. Did they tell you the story behind... Yeah, well, I got and a, everyone I got the, is really the, the enjoying shirt it. On this, the, <laughs> <Yeah. woo-hoo! laughs> uh, Charles Ogle, the silent monster from the original 1910 film. Yes, why that exactly? We would have a silent monster actor be the. Uh, that I don't know. Yeah, that's an interesting question, mm. but I don't know when Frankenstein was first done on radio. Well, we were just talking about uh, production and how to uh, how to get into audio theater, mm. and we should mention that we we just were uh, last month probably the oldest group for that kind of thing in the country finished up their first big their big uh, meeting of the year and that's his national audio theater festivals mm-hmm. NADIF I've never been you have been a couple of years ago tell the folks what that is and what your impressions were sure well you know I came I had maybe five or six shows under my belt and uh, I'm, I'm kind of glad I did have some experience though if I'd been a complete newbie I still would have had a, a great time but I was at a part where I was getting a little frustrated I, I you know, wasn't able to get the production level. To, you know, I sort of hit a plateau. Um, yeah. I still wasn't what I considered a professional quality production and uh, just didn't have technical skills to get it to the next level. I was getting frustrated. Okay. Um, and that was really my goal. I, I didn't feel that there was a, a huge weakness in storytelling, though I certainly learned a lot about that. Um, but I just, man, I, just the being immersed, you know, it's like this, you know, convergence. It's just all, you know... I'd say there's more. There's a huge amount of diversity here, but it's just a like minds. Um, as I'm, I think I might have mentioned earlier, you no, know, you'll never find a greater community than around audio drama because there's yeah. just no place for pretension and squabbles and you know <laughs> crap like that. Everyone is just genuinely interested in helping each other. First guy, one of the first guys I met off the plane was Tom Lopez. He's like, "Hi, I'm Tom. Nice to meet you." I'm like, "Hi, Tom." I'm like, "Holy crap! You're wearing a ZBS hat. I know who you are." And it you was Tom Lopez. awesome. Um, you know, and guys like Bill Dufries, he's another Mainer, but he comes down. Um, incredible voice actor. Uh, s- super fun. You know, if you want to learn about voice acting and how to really manipulate, you know, do cartoon. I mean, he's just, he's just great people. Uh, so I, you know, David Shin, uh, I was on the sound effects team. David Shin was leading that. Um, okay. Hung out with some other people, people who had done Foley for a lot of years. That helped a lot. Uh, I haven't done live Foley in any of my shows, but I did do um, some more um, interesting effects. I uh, waiting for a window, in fact, did not have a single uh, recorded, downloaded effect in it. Okay. Um, and the piece before that, Dark Passenger, had had much fewer, um, just the set, the cars and stuff. You know, I haven't quite gotten to squealing, you know, doing a, do, going out on the racing slicks yet. But, okay. um, you know, stuff like, he's like, oh, yeah, if you want to have bones breaking, do, like, you know, ripping celery. And uh, yep. he recorded it, uh, you know, so, so it was learning things like that, learning how to really... You know, I guess one of the big things is just thinking. You know, thinking in sound. A lot of my scripts, I, you know, upon review, I realized it was still a very word-centric kinds of scripts that I was writing. You right. know, I, 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 they were capable scripts. The language is okay, but it was still thinking so much in the written word. But then when you start thinking about, okay, how can I really envision this in sound? Like one one of the challenges for waiting for a window is I wanted to take out the narrator. The the original draft of the script was all Norman's head, and you, you stayed in Norman's head for about half the play. I was like, I'm just going to get rid of that. And it, and it changed a lot of things. Like the first scene um, had to be turned into an action scene that actually now had no dialogue. It's just sound effects and right. music. Um, that was something that was you know, created by, okay, how do I tell the story of him being in a storm without saying, and then I was sailing and a storm came. Oh, no! It, and here comes. Yeah, so it, it's, it's stuff like that, thinking about how... Uh, how, how can I really use all these tools? You have three tools with audio. You've got voices, right. sound effects, and music. 
you know, how are you going to use music? Is music going to be just sort of a backdrop? Is music going to split up scenes? Is music going to pervade the script? Is music going to be in the script? Uh, or, you know, what's it, what's it going to do? Are your sound effects going to be in the scene? Or are they going to be emblematic? Uh, you know, those, those kinds of questions. And, you know, that's that's the joy once you really start to get experienced and sort of figure out what you're doing. Right. Um, you're now able to, not only are you just writing a play and struggling to get it done, but you're actually thinking about these tools and, and trying to craft them to do stuff. And uh, that's that's really where the pleasure comes in. You know, I, I'm finding, uh, I think when most of us start, I don't know about you, but when I started, there was a dependence on pre-recorded sound effects just because mm-hmm. there were so many around. You know, people yeah. were giving me CD collections. Theater people who bought a CD collection never used it. And you start getting into that, and you realize that there, even even though it's not really enforceable, there are some legal issues involved. Uh, you can't always be 100% certain that you can maintain, you know, that you're absolutely above board. And then you discover how cheap the gear is. Mm-hmm. And then you discover how much fun it is to do your own live sound effects. I, you know, I don't ever, if I can possibly help it, do a pre-recorded again. Yeah. Because there's so many, you know, like, I'm flying back from Oregon this week. I'm getting interior of an aircraft. <laughs> nice. In fact, I forgot to do it at the red eye because that would have been different. The red eye would have sounded different than the regular one. There's even a baby crying in the background. And and the gear is, makes that so accessible. Mm-hmm. Do you find... Um, well, okay, my own productions, I have two different terms for which sound effects we're doing. Like there is uh, drop-in sound effects or standalone sound effects. Classic example would be a door knock, mm-hmm. which has to exist in that play at that point. Right. Because it needs to be knock, 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 come in. And then there's, you know, the, the background ambiance type things. That's what I'm finding more and more. Do you, uh, you, you were mentioning at the panel this morning about recording uh, the window mm-hmm. in a friend's bar or a friend's, you know, are you doing a lot more of that where you'll get like two or three minutes of background and well, loop it under a scene because it well, belongs Well, that there? actually was e- even, even more fun in that it was recorded in a scene and all this sound effects were recorded in that take so I've got one audio file now it's now it's a, it's a blessing and a curse if I right. screwed up anything and you know you, you fluffed the line at the time they were fluffing the line there's a clink of a glass and now you can't really splice it up because there's there's a sound effect going on but if you went through it enough times like we did to, to get the lines all pretty good right. um, it was very organic uh, we had you know we did do a little few minutes of bar walla walla um, and we did some room tone but really most of the, the if you listen to the bar scene of waiting for a window start to finish not a single effect was added to that. That was all happened as it happened. We had right. we had people. I had five people to be walla walla. Um, gave them a couple beers and a few bottles and said, "All right, you guys are drinking." They're like, "Oh, drink!" I don't know if I can do the the role of the guys drinking in the background. I'm not sure if I'll, <laughs> we'll be able to do that. And like, you know, I'll, I'll see see if you can manage. You know, twist their arms a little bit to be the the people drinking and and you know cavorting in the background. Uh, and then we actually moved. Um, I had a great sound recordist on it. He had. Um, he had his uh, my I had a Rode NT4 mic, mic that Roger Gregg recommended I use. Um, he had it, in, you know, hand holding it. So we followed the characters through the scene. So they start off at a table. They're talking at the table. Norman gets up. He walks across the room. Starts talking to the people at the bar. He goes over to a door. That eventually ends up like going up on the stage. We actually had a PA karaoke system. So the whole karaoke song is actually was a karaoke. It probably song. sounded nice and tinny and just, it, just that. Yeah, perfect. It, okay. it, and so that was all literally one long stressful take in a very 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 hot stuffy room uh-huh. but man it sounds it sounds very organic when you hear the finished product because that's that's how it was that it, it we were a bunch of people in a bar drinking having a good time playing a karaoke machine and um, there you have it do you, are we gonna see a status thing develop over the next few years where 
Um, we were talking on the forum earlier today, sorry listeners that you weren't there, but actually there is a recording that I'll be broadcasting on the station later on this weekend about satellite acting, the practice of having remote actors uh, that then has to be edited together. You, you know, I mean, it, it, it can sound good, but it generally doesn't sound really good. Are we looking at maybe a status thing developing in audio theater where if, if, you, can, if you can afford to have all your actors right there? I th- I would say more of a philosophical thing than a, okay. than a status thing. I I'm, I think they did mention you know people. Some people are really putting a lot of effort into it, and I certainly, you know, if I needed to have a Cajun actor and I couldn't find one, it would be much better to to to, to get someone on on the phone recording in, in a nice studio in New Orleans than to than to not get them. Okay. Personally, I'd prefer to j- jump on the plane and and record them there in person with the sounds of the French Quarter riverboats trunk trundling down. But that's you know it's not for everyone. People's different needs and, and different styles and different resources I, exactly so I, I think it's again it, it depends on the production you know like if you're going to do an outer space piece you know to some extent that's not a, you know now you now it's a whole different ball game you know right, um, right. you know Tom Lopez is known for doing all these we're going across the you know, Bali Sumatra recording these these live environments but then something like Ruby you know obviously it's a little it's a different kind of story right. so you know I, I think it does depend on the story if it's science fiction it's you know, it it may you're not going to find a spaceship that you can just hop in and fly around. So so it's it, I, I think it really just depends on the producer what they're what they want to do. Um, I I don't feel elitist. I just feel like you know I, I'm not very good sound designer. Uh, okay. Some people can do really masterful effects. Um, you know, with music. Um, I think of the Dry Smoke and Whispers guys. Um, Mark Rose and uh, okay. who works out with the out in uh, Portland, Oregon. Um, he does an amazing job with these extremely rich, detailed soundscapes. Um, you know, hundreds of effects layered in, and this right, really, right. really very sci-fi sounding thing. I'm not good at that. I'm I, I so I so I've you know my sort of style has been a little, a little bit more towards the organic um, scene, you know, or organic type as opposed to designed sound. But I, I you know it's not an elite thing. It's not a it's just a style. Oh no, it is a style. And, and there's a and some riff rough, ruffians. Yeah, we should mention that this is not for the faint of heart. No, no. Five. I got to offer them an interview. There, it was, it was uh, Jerry Stearns and Brian Price from Great Northern Audio are here as well. Well, we're just about out of time. Um, I was going to off throw the microphone open. If there's Fred, is anything you'd like to to say or any discussion we'd like to go? I'd love. First of all, I should put in that we um, are at Icebox Radio. I'm sorry, home at IceboxRadio.org is our website. If you want to reach Fred, I think probably the easiest way is to go to Audio Drama Talk or give them their webs- your website. Yeah, you can go to finalrune.com, F-I-N-A-L-R-U-N-E.com. You can email me if you really want to, Fred, <laughs> Fred, F-R-E-D, at finalrune.com. And that's it. Yeah. And a, a possible live show, but uh, probably one last question. Mm-hmm. Now, Radio Drama Revival is a 12-month-a-year thing, or do you have a season that you well, like? Radio Drama Revival runs... It's 352 weeks a year. It's it goes out as a live. It's a radio show, so okay. I'm I'm there every week. Okay. And it goes to the podcast. It's my own thing, which sometimes is bigger than the radio show. Often I pe- feature special content. This is the way it goes. What's up this week? Uh, this week is actually Mark time. Um, I did a re- replay of Waiting for a Window, and then I'll be doing some. I think the 2008 Convergent show, and oh, uh, hopefully a clip with uh, Brian Price and Jerry Stearns, who just showed up here. Uh, we'll be talking to them right right after this. Okay, fantastic. You are listening to Icebox Radio with Fred Greenhall. At Halge, it's the zhuzh. It's like it's a zhuzh. And you can learn more about his work at finalroom.com. Just about top of the hour and at the top of the hour on Icebox Radio. Enjoy The Borrowed Pen, the best of new fan fiction from the internet. <laughs> okay, and that was me from Convergence 2009 with Jeff 
Adams. Um, hopefully I sound like I know I talked about it a little bit at least. Um, wrapping up part one of today's mega episode celebrating the Minnesota-based science fiction convention. Cutting over to the second part of today's episode, we will hear stories from the 2008 Mark Time show last year's, including Magic Notes, Broken Tree Bridge, and The Last Shuttle. That's on the second part of the podcast day. Do check it out. And if this ends up being the only episode you hear of this pod, don't forget to check out the blog, radiodramarevival.com. You can find us on iTunes, Radio Drama Revival. Thanks for listening.